invite you to turn in your Bibles with me once again to the book of Ruth, uh, chapter 3. It's on page 284 if you're using one of the church pew Bibles. If you were away last week, I know many people were um, uh, not with us last Sunday. If you were worried that you missed uh, one of the sermons in Ruth, rest assured, we actually took a break from Ruth last week and spent some time in Colossians chapter 3. So you didn't miss anything and we're back in Ruth Ruth chapter 3 today, uh, the entire chapter. Uh, So let's uh, hear God's word beginning in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that is Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may go, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me. You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, 
For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Well, Ruth chapter 3, without a doubt, is the most difficult chapter uh, in the book of Ruth. Uh, Very quickly, it looks like uh, a terrible turn is about to be made in the journeys of Naomi and Ruth, the consequences of which could be uh, calamitous. At the same time, I think it's arguably the most helpful chapter in the book of Ruth. Uh, It shows us the complexities and the contradictions of even the redeemed heart, and at the same time, the sovereign mercy of God that superintends even our sin and our folly for his glory and our good. It shows us our need for for rest and fullness. And in the end, it leads us to Christ. In other words, this story shows us ourselves and our need, and it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ who gives his people the rest and the fullness that they need. I want you to think this morning about this chapter in terms of three unfolding scenes. Because this story breaks down into three different scenes that take place during three different times of the day. Uh, The first is in verses 1 through 5, likely when Ruth has returned after a day of gleaning in the fields. And uh, Naomi and Ruth talk about uh, uh, Naomi's plans for Ruth to secure Boaz as her husband. Uh, The second scene is in verses 6 through 19, and that scene plays out during the the dark hours of uh, the night on the threshing floor where Boaz slept. And then the third is in verses 14 through 18, the final scene, what happens when the sun comes up on a new day? And like a good movie director, I think, the author of Ruth is giving us clues. If you pay attention to the the cinematography, you'll begin to see the significance of of what is taking place as we watch the afternoon shadows lengthen in this first scene as Naomi shares her plan to secure for Ruth Boaz as her her new husband. We begin, I, I hope you begin to feel in those verses, something isn't quite right here. This doesn't seem like a wise plan, Naomi. You know, what what is Naomi thinking? And then we follow Ruth to the threshing floor that night, and the scene darkens, and the tension mounts. You know, cue the the music in the background. This is a moment fraught with moral and spiritual danger. What's, What's going to happen? We can hardly... We can hardly watch the scene unfold. It's like little Emma when she sees something scary in a movie. She covers her eyes and says, don't watch, too scary. (laughs) What's going to happen next? Well, then finally the sun comes up at long last and there's a palpable sense of relief and we discover that Boaz really is a man of God and that Ruth truly is a woman of faith and a woman of integrity and not uh, God's God's plans uh, will not be destroyed even by 
the scheming plans of a conniving mother-in-law. And so Ruth chapter 3, is uh, it, it's a master class in storytelling, but it is a story that is designed for our instruction and our good, as I hope we'll see today. And there are three lessons that I, I want us to try to draw out from this story as we take a look at it. So let's begin by looking at this story and thinking about this first lesson, which is really a warning. And the warning is the danger of being a bad counselor with a misguided heart. The danger of being a bad counselor with a misguided heart. Uh, the last verse of chapter 2 explains that the barley and wheat harvest uh, is now over. So it's been several months now since Naomi first had the idea that Boaz might just be the man to rescue uh, Naomi and Ruth from their destitution. And, and seeing the possibility, Naomi, you remember, told Ruth, just, just work closely uh, along Boaz, side Boaz, let's, and let's just see where this goes. But you see, now months have passed, and under that policy, all that they have going for them is lots of grain. And it appears that Naomi was getting a little impatient. She's not satisfied. So take a look at her words in verse 1. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may go well with you? Now, if you read the book of Judges, again and again and again, you'll, you'll constantly find this theme of rest for the people of God, rest for the land coming up in the book of Judges. Judges, which provides the historical setting in which the events of the book of Ruth take place. And this is what Naomi wants for Ruth. Rest, safety, security, peace. And verse 2 tells us that Naomi knows there is in God's law a provision for just this occasion. She hints at it. When she says, is not Boaz our relative? She's hinting at the fact that Boaz uh, stands in the position to be their kinsman redeemer. To be the one to fulfill the role of, of, of husband. And to provide for, for Ruth and Naomi as well as to, uh, to carry on the family inheritance in the land of promise. And so clearly Naomi, we need to be clear about this, Naomi cares about Ruth. Naomi has Ruth's interests at heart. It's crucial that we understand those deep motives in Naomi's heart because, sadly, while Naomi wants something good for her daughter-in-law, she is prepared to instruct Ruth to get that good in a com potentially compromising way. And so when you look at verses 2 through 5, though her motives for Ruth are good, Naomi seems to be a little impatient and she's ready to take matters into her own hands and try to make a match. And so in verse 2, she says to Ruth, See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Go and cover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, no matter how you understand those words, no matter how you parse out what Naomi is saying, that is disturbing instruction. 
It's a distressing piece of counsel. Some, some commentators actually read Naomi as essentially telling Ruth to dress up for seduction. You know, put on a, uh, the nicest dress you have, throw on some perfume, and go bag yourself a husband. Some read the text that way. I think that's a little bit of an overreading of the text. Another option is the idea that Ruth has been dressed in garments of mourning, grieving uh, as a grieving widow. So her clothes identified her as a woman who had lost her husband. And perhaps Naomi has concluded that the reason Boaz has not expressed uh, any interest or has kept himself at a distance was out of respect for Ruth's grief. And so by washing and putting on her cloak, she wasn't dressing for seduction, the idea is, but simply signaling to Boaz that her mourning is over, and if he is at all interested, she wanted him to know that he need not keep a distance any longer. Okay, but even with that reading, the fact still remains that Naomi's advice is fraught with danger. Twice now, uh, we, have, we have already heard, first from Boaz's lips, but also from Naomi's lips, about the dangers of Ruth being found alone uh, in fields. The risk of her being assaulted. And now Naomi is prepared to send out her young, vulnerable daughter-in-law into the Judean night to spend the night with Boaz. And add on top of that a passage like uh, Hosea chapter 9 verse 1 where we're told that prostitutes practice their trade on the threshing floor and the alarm bells start to sound. And then add still further the parallels between this part of the story and Genesis 19. Genesis 19 is the story of Lot and his two daughters. And do you remember what happened in that story? Uh, Lot's two daughters had incestuous relations with their drunken father. And the first child that was born of those incestuous relations was named Moab, Ruth's direct ancestor. These two women believed it was absolutely necessary for them to sleep with their father in order to secure a future for themselves. Is it possible that Naomi is thinking, well, perhaps Ruth, like her ancestors, would do the seemingly necessary thing to get herself a husband. But you see, in the end, it's really Naomi and not Ruth who bears the stamp of Moab. So what's the lesson here? Well, the lesson I want us to focus on, at least, is, is, is this warning. Beware bad counsel from well-meaning but misguided hearts. Or if you're the one in the position of offering the counsel, beware of offering bad counsel with a misguided heart. Frankly, Naomi's instruction sounds like that of a pagan. This is not the godly counsel of a believing parent or mother-in-law. And this story is highlighting the all-too-common feature of families where believing parents scheme and are willing to make compromises to get what they think is best for their children. 
tragic examples we could give, you know, family members counseling other family members to date someone simply because they have similar interests or perhaps this person is on the, the fast track to success, not because they're devoted to Jesus and completely committed to giving their lives over to Christ. I've heard of sad stories of parents who find out that their child is sleeping around and instead of confronting the issue head on, they try to hide it by offering protection to their child. Just this week, I heard the sad story of Christian mothers. There's an article I read about it. Christian mothers encouraging their daughters who became pregnant in college to get an abortion. Christian mothers, because, well, they had a plan for their daughter. They want her to have a good college experience after all, and this is just going to be a minor hiccup in the plans. Seen on and on, we could go with examples. I, I wish this morning I could stand before you and say that Naomi is an isolated case, but she's not. Don't think that because you've become a Christian, that sin will no longer corrupt your desires and pollute your counsel. See, Naomi desires good for Ruth. She wants Ruth to have rest in the land, but she's prepared to tell Ruth to get it by worldly means. It's bad counsel from a misguided heart. And so therefore, I think Naomi is an example warning us to, to watch and pray lest we fall into the mistake of becoming worthless counselors. You know, you, you might want something good for someone you love, but you're tempted to help them seize it by whatever means you deem necessary. Naomi's mistake here actually echoes that of Elimelech's, doesn't it? Do you remember Naomi's husband, Elimelech, at the beginning of the book of Ruth? What did he want? Well, he just wanted food for his family, right? They were suffering from the famine in the town of Bethlehem in Judea, and instead of turning to the Lord and trusting in the Lord to provide, Elimelech led his family out of the land of promise to find what they needed in Moab. Seems to be a family pattern here. Good desires do not excuse moral and spiritual compromise. So be on your guard, dear friends. You, you may desire a good thing for a loved one or for yourself, but sin is subtle and deceptive. It is crouching at your door Beware the danger of bad counsel from a misguided heart. And then the second lesson. The second lesson in this story is rest for restless hearts. The possibility of rest for restless hearts. The sun has set in verse 6. And so Ruth watches from the shadows as Boaz lies down, no doubt happy, and weary at the end of a long harvest season. She notes where he lies down next to the pile of grain. Just as her mother-in-law commanded her to. Then in verse 8. At midnight the man was startled. A, a bit of an understatement I think. You know I imagine this scene and I can't help but laugh. And Boaz in uh, you know, a bit of grogginess. Why are my feet so cold turning over? And behold <laughs> there's a woman. <laughs> And he asks the question, who are you? Actually, I think it's a mark of Boaz's godliness that that's all that he said. 
But as he's, you know, gathering himself together, wiping the drool off of his chin, Ruth takes the initiative in verse 9, and look at what she says. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now think, that, that wasn't in the script, was it? Naomi did not tell Ruth to say that. She said, you know, go, place yourself before Boaz, and he will tell you what to do. There was all kinds of moral ambiguity in Naomi's instruction, but there is absolutely no ambiguity in what Ruth is asking for. So we need to understand, what is Ruth asking for? Ruth is proposing marriage to Boaz. That's what she's doing here. So in, uh, in verse 9, when she, she speaks of spreading your garment over me, uh, that's actually, a, it's, a, it's a double entendre. It could be translated, spread the corner of your garment over me. So we need to be clear, Boaz, uh, Ruth is not trying to seduce Boaz. She is proposing marriage to him. The language is, is a euphemism. God himself uses this very language to describe his covenant relationship with his people, Israel, as a betrothal in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. So the language signifies the establishment of a relationship along with the symbolic declaration of the husband to provide for the wife. That's what Ruth is asking for here. Interestingly, you know, I think you know, adding to the romance... By framing her proposal in those specific terms, she's actually quoting words that take us back to the first time that Boaz and Ruth talked with one another. It's a beautiful touch, isn't it? Because when they first talked, Boaz spoke about Ruth as one who has taken refuge under the shadow of the, the wings of the Almighty. And now Ruth says back to Boaz, Spread your wings over me. So you see what she's asking. She's asking Boaz to be the instrument of God's covenant love and care for her by fulfilling his obligation as a kinsman redeemer. And so the way that the Lord is going to extend covenant grace and his wings of covenant love over Ruth is by Boaz spreading his wings over her in the covenant of marriage. And if she wasn't clear enough, then she does go on in verse 9 to say, you are a redeemer. In other words, Boaz, whatever else there is between us, this is your duty under the law of Moses. You are in the unique position to provide rest for Naomi and I. Now, just put yourself in Boaz's position for a second. I mean, this is, this is a lot to wake up to at midnight, wouldn't you say? You know, a woman coming out of the shadows and proposing marriage. It's a lot to take in. But then we also need to put ourselves in, in Ruth's position because she has taken a great risk here. She has made herself vulnerable. I mean, everything, everything hangs on a thread at this point. How will Boaz respond? There are a few options. I mean, he... he he could have taken advantage of her. He could have assaulted her. And no one would have known. He could have rebuked her. What are you doing coming to me in the middle of the night? Do you know how this will look? He could have shamed her. The next morning, you know, 
Once a Moabite, always a Moabite. Coming in the middle of the night trying to seduce me. So everything hangs on Boaz's response. What's he going to say? What a relief it must have been when he responded with gentleness and godly care. So take a look at what he does. First, he blesses her. He interprets Ruth's interest in him as an act of covenant love towards him. She, she could have gone after younger men, he, he says, but she's taken an interest in him. And then he tells her that he will do for her what she asks. And you know, her heart must have been leaping for joy at that moment. God will take care of me and my mother-in-law through Boaz. But just as our hearts are leaping with joy, then the author, what does he do? He introduces a new note of tension. In verse 13, when Boaz says, there is, however, a redeemer closer than I. So there's someone else, unknown apparently to Naomi and Ruth, who is closer, a closer relative to Elimelech than Boaz. And therefore, he has a prior claim and responsibility. And yet, because Boaz is such a remarkable man of God who truly cares for Ruth, he takes, well, he commits to taking care of the matter as soon as the sun rises. And then he says, if the other man will not redeem you, by a solemn oath, he says, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And so Naomi wanted rest for Ruth. Ruth has gone to Boaz seeking that rest. And now at last Boaz has committed himself with a solemn oath one way or another to ensure that Ruth and Naomi have rest. Now at this point in the story, we might be interested in going all sorts of directions. We might be interested in pausing here and thinking about Boaz's godliness in the face of sexual temptation. It's certainly a reminder, incidentally, that temptation will always find a way in, no matter what safeguards we might have up, like water through leaking cracks. But uh, I think we can learn maybe a lesson here from Boaz, that in those moments, the last defense has to be a faithful pattern of obedience to God that we have cultivated in times when temptation was not assailing us so that when it does, as a kind of spiritual muscle memory reflex, we resist the temptation. Boaz can teach us that lesson. We may also equally want to think about Ruth at this point. You know, in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth doesn't come after the book of Judges like it does in our English Bibles. The book of Ruth follows immediately after the book of Proverbs. Now, how does the book of Proverbs end? It ends with chapter 31 and the chapter on the woman of noble character. And then it's immediately followed by the book of Ruth. In Proverbs chapter 31, in verse 31, it says of the woman of noble character, her works praise her in the gates, which is actually exactly the language that Boaz uses right here in chapter 3, verse 11. It's translated here in our ESV Bibles, all the townsmen know you are a worthy woman. But actually, what he says is, all the gates of my people know that you are a worthy woman, a woman of noble character. 
Ruth, in other words, is the embodiment of the Proverbs 31 woman. She is a woman who models for us godly courage and a determination to live as a true child of God, despite the misleading counsel of Naomi. Now, those are all worthy considerations. We could go in those directions. But I think the big point of this scene takes us in a different direction. Because remember, remember that it's Boaz's godly obedience that ensures that Ruth finds the rest that she needs. He is the agent in her life of God's love and grace. And so when Boaz says there is a redeemer closer than I, all he meant is that there is a relative closer to Elimelech than myself whose obligation it is to be the redeemer. But I don't know about you, when I read those words, I can't help but to think and see in those words actually something that is leading us to the fundamental lesson of the book of Ruth, which is that there is a redeemer. There is a redeemer, and the great redeemer of Naomi and Ruth and even Boaz is the one to whom Boaz points us, by whose obedience our rest is provided. In other words, this scene leads us ultimately to the Lord Jesus himself because he is the closer redeemer to whom Boaz points. Some of you will know that famous prayer of, uh, of Augustine. How's it go? Lord, you have made us for, oursel- uh, for yourself, not for ourselves. Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Do you have a restless heart? Feel like you've got a vagabond heart wandering aimlessly, hopelessly, without purpose. Go from one thing to the next, constantly looking for the rest that you seek. And my friend, the reality is that you will always, always be restless in this life until you find your rest in Jesus Christ. He says to you today, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Rest is on free offer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So take refuge underneath the shadow of his wings. If we got the bad counsel of a misguided heart, rest for restless hearts. And then thirdly, the promise of fullness for empty hearts. The promise of fullness for empty hearts. The morning comes. Boaz, because he's a man of God, makes sure that no one knows or learns about Ruth's midnight visit. Because love, after all, covers over a multitude of wrongs. And then in verse 15, he tells her to bring the cloak with which she had covered herself in the night. And he fills it with six measures of barley. Now that, that is a ludicrous amount. It's a ridiculous amount. It's more than she can pick up herself. We see in verse 15, he has to lift it up and put it on her. And so uh, the, you picture it, Ruth staggers back into the city, back to Naomi. And when she arrives, no doubt she's uh, puffing Uh, under the the load of what she's been carrying. And Naomi says to her in verse 16, how did you fare, my daughter? Actually, 
Actually, she asks the very same question that Boaz asked Ruth at midnight. In Hebrew, it's the same question. Boaz asked Ruth, who are you? And Naomi asks Ruth, who are you, my daughter? She's wondering, has Boaz changed your life as we have hoped? Are you the same Ruth coming back to me this new day as the one who left me last night at sunset? And so then she unloads the grain and gives the full report, telling Naomi of all that Boaz had done for her. Now notice, this is my favorite part of the story here. Notice the punchline that has been kept back from the dialogue between Boaz and Ruth uh, from, the, from the threshing floor earlier that morning. Here's the punchline at the end of the story. Boaz said to me, you must not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And Naomi, she thought she was clever, so subtle. <laughs> Boaz would never know that her hands were behind all of this, trying to trying to play a matchmaker, but it seems like Boaz has Naomi, Naomi's number dialed in pretty well. So he sends a message back to Naomi, and he has, he has crafted the message very carefully. Notice especially the part that tells her, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Now, why is that significant? Well, because... That's precisely how Naomi viewed herself when she returned to Bethlehem, isn't it? When she believed that God had dealt with her bitterly, had dealt with her harshly, when she blamed God for what had happened to her, she said, I went away full and I have come back empty. And here's the message now for Naomi. Naomi, don't, don't you understand you don't need to manipulate circumstances in your insecurity and fear. You can really trust the Lord to provide. The massive haul of barley was a kind of visual aid, a promise of the fact you will not be left empty. You will be full. I will give you and your daughter-in-law rest. And it appears as though Naomi finally gets the message because her bitterness just seems to disappear at this point. And here's the thing. She is content at last to wait and see and allow someone else to act for her. So I wonder if you identify with, with Naomi. You ever worry about tomorrow? Have past painful experiences made you fearful about the days ahead? Is, as though they will be as bitter as the days in the past? And are you struggling to trust the Lord and, and wait upon him to act on your behalf? That was Naomi's experience. She saw herself as being empty, and the Lord is signaling to her through Boaz that if she would just trust him, that her emptiness would be filled. That if she would... Allow Boaz to act. Her emptiness would be filled and she and Ruth would have rest. Now, dear friends, this is something we need to say. There is no promise in Scripture that hardship and sorrow and pain and loss will not break into your life. There is no such promise in Scripture that those things will not happen to you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. But there is a promise 
that emptiness will never again characterize your heart if you trust in Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I've come in order that you might have life in its fullness. Life abundantly, life to overflowing. He, he can do that because he is the one greater than Boaz. And the signal that he will deliver on his promise, what is it? It's not merely a heaping pile of grain. What is the signal that he will deliver on his promise to fill you? Well, the signal is the, the empty tomb and before that the cross. The cross and the empty tomb. See, he gave himself, he poured himself out that you might be filled. Paul says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So, dear friend, have you got any heart lack? Struggling with feelings of emptiness? Ruth chapter 3 is here to teach us that there is no emptiness of heart to which Jesus is not the answer. There is rest for restless hearts in Jesus Christ. So even when misguided hearts offer us bad counsel, we know where to turn. Not to, not to Moab, not to worldly means, but to Jesus Christ, who alone is able to fill us to overflowing. So let us fix our eyes upon him, and let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach us to, to run to him. Teach us to find rest in him alone. And teach us, Lord, to find our fullness in Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.